right, all right, all right. Day 276. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so I'm hyped. First Corinthians has been really dope for, uh, for this time, uh, uh, this time around for me. And uh, we are picking up right back where we left off and in this highly structured letter that has this consistent problem solution structure that is written by Paul. Now, last time, if the problem in the last episode was about the division over church leaders, this time the problem here is about the deviant sexual practices that the Corinthians are participating in. It was a wild, wild west out here in uh, Corinth, just to let you know, heads up for where we're going. All right. So he starts off this way in chapter five. Uh, it is actually reported that there is sexual, sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. <laughs> a man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief and remove from your congregation the one who did this? Paul is shocked. He can't believe it. Notice Paul doesn't say that the dude was sleeping with his moms. The, the, he actually says, um, that the guy was sleeping with his father's wife, right? And so we can be, uh, we can kind of see that this is his stepmother, right? And so Paul is like, no, no, even the pagans, my G, like who don't know God, know that this is foul, fam. Like, f- let's be real. And um, it's interesting because uh, even if you go read like Roman philosophers like Cicero, who was who was who was uh, uh, philosophizing, I should say, uh, during the time of the the early Christians, who who wasn't a Christian, he would agree with Paul. He 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 was he would say the same thing. Like this was a problem. He wasn't even Christian, right? They don't even do such things. But to make it even worse, according to Paul, he says y'all are arrogant. Y'all are puffed up about it. Y'all are boasting in it, right? Notice he doesn't just scold. I love this. He doesn't just scold big bruh. <laughs> he actually scolds the church. He actually scolds the community. It's wild, right? And it's and it's interesting because he holds them all accountable. Now, um, I, I think what we learn from this text, though, is that our sinfulness doesn't just lead us to sin, but it often leads us to boast in our sin. It leads us to celebrate it. Right. It leads us, uh, as one uh, theologian would say, it leads us to paint sin with virtues, colors. And we have this tendency, fam, to celebrate the very things God repudiates. Right. And Paul is saying this shouldn't be so. And he continues on the corporate theme uh, of the obligation we have to keep one, uh, each other faithful and accountable before God. He begins to talk about leaven and how just a little bit of leaven can can uh, uh, leaven the whole batch. Right. And his point is this, listen, sin is infectious, fam. It's like a disease. Remember we talked about, I think it was James, how we talked about uh, one of the dominant metaphors for sin sin in uh, the history of the church was that of a disease, right? It spreads, chief. It affects all of us. They are, sins are always like personal, one theologian says, but they're, they're always social too, right? They always affect more people than just you. Therefore, according to Paul, uh, no, he's like, no, 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 clean out the old leaven. Right now, the way he mixes metaphors is smooth. He's he's so hard. Paul argues so well. Again, I would never want to debate him. He mixes metaphors here at the end of five, and uh, man, it's it's so good. He says, he's like, yo, he talks about um bread, right, being unleavened, and then he goes into speaking about the Passover lamb. So hard. Why? Well, well, Paul sees these Christians, and you're gonna see this over and over throughout the letter, uh, as continuing the story of Israel. Right? They are an extension of the story God began in Israel. Now, this is obvious to us because we have a Bible that is printed with 66 books in it, but this wasn't so in, in their time, and they needed to be reminded of this. And actually, we do too, right? And um, Israel, why do I bring it up? Israel would would celebrate this thing called Passover, right? Once a year, and it started with the festival. Listen, of unleavened bread. 
right? Where they didn't eat uh, bread for, for seven days, right? And they would uh, then have the Passover sacrifice or meal that celebrated uh, their true freedom from slavery and being set apart, right? As a distinct and holy people for Yahweh uh, in the Exodus. So in effect, Paul is saying here, why does he bring all that up? Paul is mixing the metaphors here because he said, no, no, our Passover lamb, <laughs> Christ himself, has been sacrificed. His blood marks us out as a distinct people who are saved from God's judgment and saved for a righteous, holy, and beautiful and compelling life. So he speaks of the leaven metaphorically to speak of the holiness that he wants literally to come from his people. So good, so so beautiful how he weaves all those uh, themes together. But then he says at the end, he's like, no, no, remove the evil person from among you. Now, Paul ain't just being the purely police. He's not just concerned uh, with... Um, you know, uh, making people feel bad. No, no, no. He's concerned with holiness and integrity and the wholeness of the body. And his mentality here is to cut off the finger, uh, cut off the finger in order to save the hand. Now, he, he says hand him over to Satan, which is a whole complex thing in and of, in and of itself. But he, he, he means um, he clarifies what he means because he says in order that he may be saved. So in other words, church discipline is where uh, many people apply this uh, is, is for ultimately restoration. Right. First Corinthians six. We move on. That was too much time on that. We move on uh, to six. And it's, and it's more drama. What many scholars have said uh, in this text, and it's, it's kind of uh, hard to tell on the surface, but many scholars have concluded about this text that there are civil and legal disputes, right? There are civil and legal disputes going on within this Corinthian church. And apparently, from what we can tell, Cass was trying to take folks to court, right? Now, I want to be careful with my words here and what I think is actually uh, being brought up. I don't think Paul is saying uh, in this text, the beginning of chapter six, if someone is doing something that is illegal or abusive or taking advantage of someone uh, who is weak uh, in the community, um, that they shouldn't be given over to governing officials, police, right? Um, uh, that is not what this text is saying. But I do think, um, and we don't have a time, time to get into it. What he brings up is that these are trivial cases, verse two, or matters of this life. I love the NIV uh, where it says ordinary things. And none of the things I mentioned above fit the category of ordinary things, right? And so um, even though it's not uh, entirely clear what exactly is going on, for Paul, it could have been resolved in the church, right? That's his whole point. And some have argued that it was uh, even a power dynamic at play because rich folks could actually be the ones who take uh, those of a lower status to court and they couldn't defend themselves in the proper manner. Regardless, I think the main thing Paul wants us to know, fam, is that Christians should not just be set apart in their sexual ethics, of course, but also in ordinary matters such as how we handle conflict. Right. If marriage has taught me anything, I've been married almost two years. For those of you who know me, you know this. Uh it's taught me that I have so much room to grow in how I handle conflict. And according to Paul, man, godly conflict resolution is indeed a Christian virtue, right? And not just a Christian virtue, but it's a Christian responsibility, right? And this is a, a way, according to Paul, we can live righteously before God. I love how he ends, though, in this chapter. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I would not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God would do away with them both. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So he swings back around to sexual immorality. Uh, apparently, uh, Corinthians, again, was wilding. So basically in Corinth, uh, the chief virtue for them was freedom. <laughs> freedom, right? No, no, no. God wants me to be free. I need to be free. Does this sound familiar, right? And so in the Corinthian church, uh, many believed they were free, hear this, to do whatever they wanted, right? Freedom for them meant the absence of all 
constraints. Now, remember, they are operating according to a kind of worldly wisdom. This is why Paul is going in on wisdom in the first uh, few chapters. And guess what? You go to the philosophers in the Greco-Roman culture of this time, and guess what? They ain't stopping you, right? They ain't stopping you. They on the same way, right? Freedom, freedom, freedom. Do what you do. Do what you do, right? And so this stuff is so relevant for our day because it's the same thing today. Nobody's going to tell you that you shouldn't do what you want with your body anyway. Um, hold on, yours. So Paul combats this way of thinking, though. This is my point. And he says, no, 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 no. Like, you actually don't understand the body. <laughs> you have a diminished view of what the gospel means for the way you operate in your actual physical body. And the Corinthian framework was that the body was trivial and that the soul right? Is the only thing that matters. Therefore, sex is just sex, <laughs> right? Therefore, we can do what we want with our body. We can put what we want in our body. We want food, we good to go. We we, we desire sex. It's just another uh, a, a, a craving from the body. So we good to go and seek it as we please. This is only physical matters. God is more concerned with the spiritual. And Paul lays it thick. He's like, y'all don't understand the gospel. You dig what I'm saying? He, he points to the bodily resurrection of Christ. Very important. And, and super important uh, for chapter 15. But he points to the bodily resurrection of Christ, man. And he says, yo, he, he does this to prove and accent how much God cares, listen, about the physical world. In other words, God creates bodies and one day he will redeem and restore those bodies in the resurrection. Right? Right? Go read uh, Romans 8, 23. And he further shows that our bodies are insignificant because being united to Christ we are now the body of Christ. And he'll explain, he'll explain more of that in 1 Corinthians 15. Um, but God's people in 1 Corinthians 12 too. But God's people are part of Christ's body, right? And it's so deep, fam, that Paul can say in verse 17 that we are actually one with him, right? He says, you are so deeply united to Christ by faith, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that one day, hear this, your very body will be just like his, right? And then finally, I love it, man. I love where he says at the very end. He says, he essentially says, no, no, you don't belong solely to you. You belong to him. I remember my mom used to always say in a store, if you're not going to buy it, don't touch it. Because if you touch it and you break it, it's a problem. One, But her point was, it's not yours, right? Like you don't own it. So you can't do what you want with it. And Paul is saying here, you know, he's like, no, you were actually bought with a price. You belong to the Lord Jesus and everything, hear this, that belongs to him should be used uh, in the way he would have you use it, right? It should be used for his glory. And Paul is saying, fam, in a sense, and this is so good, we need a better theology of the body in the church. In a sense, what Paul is saying, he's saying, you don't know how valuable you are, fam. And I don't mean this in a, in a, in a very personal, individualistic, like kind of secular, uh, worldly mindset. It's like, oh, I have value. No, no, no. He's saying you don't know how valuable. You know why? You don't know how valuable you are? Because God didn't just pay an expensive debt to redeem your body, but he actually paid an eternal one. Right? The blood, the shed blood of Christ. Right? So in a real gospel sense, to do any ill thing with our bodies is a failure to recognize uh, our eternal value before God. So good. First Corinthians seven, Paul pivots to matters that apparently uh, cats had wrote to him about. Right. So he here is so much here in, in chapter seven and we cannot get to all of it. I am sorry. Here he gives a teaching for the Corinthians regarding sex, marriage and, and, and is responding to specific concerns uh, and, and in divorce. Right. Uh, sex, marriage and divorce. Now, this is not a systematic theology, uh, systematic theology, systematic theology textbook. 
on uh, marriage, divorce, and all these sorts of things, right? In other words, what I'm trying to say is, uh, this is not all the Bible has to say uh, about this, these subjects and these, in the, in these topics. However, Paul is uh, a pastor, right? He he is a, a pastor theologian, and he is applying the tr the truths of God to this specific community. And so we must factor in the wider witness of Scripture if we want to understand these topics. Nonetheless, Paul is clear about some things here, right? Um, and I think what he's what, what he's getting at here is that. Um, Marriage and singleness are both gifts from God, right? They're not the same gifts from God, but they are nonetheless both gifts. And one of the, the, the um, you know, one, one is not, uh, you know, more godly than the other, as, as, as many of us can uh, subliminally act, act as if, right? Uh, he's like, they're not more godly than the other. There are unique ways you can serve others and the Lord, specifically in each season of life. And, and God uh, desires our total total commitment, right, as, as Lord of our life, regardless of what season and situation we're in, right? And and we are to be, uh, there's a sense of contentment. Now, I'm not saying if you want to be married, you shouldn't decide to be married. We Hold on. Of course, I'm married. Of course, I wanted it. You dig what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, <laughs> he's saying like, yo, you should be content in, in serving the Lord in whatever season you're in. Um, and there are unique blessings and challenges in each, right? And so what must be true is that our life is lived unto the Lord in light of his imminent return, according to Paul. First Corinthians 8, last one of this bunch. He makes a transition to a new section, dealing with food, uh, with animals, using pagan sacrifices to pagan gods, uh, and particularly eating in a, a, a temple. Now, there's only one true creator for Paul, for Paul, uh, you know, the unparalleled holy God of the universe. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, and one spirit. And even though, bro, if you want to eat, like, you can eat whatever you can. However, at least in Paul's day, he's like, yo, even with this right, if your behavior here, listen, weakens or hurts the conscience of another believer and could possibly make he or she stumble, stay away from it, right? Stay away from it. And in Paul's day, it was food offered to idols in a temple. But uh, there are many ways uh, in which this applies to our current context. And I think what he's trying to say, but again, again, First uh, Corinthians is an ethical letter. Whenever we are dealing with something that is questionable or possibly gray, right, whether this is right or wrong or whether we're unsure, um, you know, uh, we have to have this ethical grid, right? And right or wrong isn't the only question for the Christian on the ethical grid, right? According to Paul. But another question that should be on the ethical grid uh, for Christians is, does this build up my neighbor? right? Or does it harm my neighbor? The question is not, can I do this and not sin, but will me doing this lead my brother or sister for whom Christ died to sin, right? And according to Paul, this is love, right? This is love according to Paul. And love builds up and sees to it that you help someone else pursue the good in this life before God. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us to pursue the good, uh, not only for our brothers and sisters, but also for ourselves, Father. Uh, we, we thank you so much for your wisdom that you've given in the word. God, I pray that we will believe that we're rising in you. God, you know 